One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. Hey there, and welcome back to the Inflammation Nation. We're talking about weight loss and more specifically, some of the obstacles to weight loss. And if you're listening, welcome. If you're just new to the Inflammation Nation podcast, let me welcome you. And, and it would be fantastic if you guys would rate and review some of the episodes that you've listened to and share some of this information with somebody that you love. You can also follow me on social media. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and <laughs> yes, even TikTok from time to time, even though you will never see me dancing. Although I guess you should never say never. Um, let me do just a quick review from last episode because I have some other uh, kind of very big big picture overarching concepts to talk about today before we start talking about the individual obstacles. And, you know, remember that when I talk about some of the obstacles to weight loss um, and eventually we'll end up with a list of things that you should think about if you're struggling to lose weight. Um, the list is not all encompassing in the sense of uh, they all, not all of them might apply to you. For example, let's say that we end up with a list of five different things. You might struggle with numbers one and three. Somebody else might struggle with four and five. Somebody else might have a little bit of everything and no one problem is the core driver. And so this is a general framework or way of thinking about weight loss from a, let's call it a, a modern scientific perspective. Um, but the information may not apply to you, but it might apply to someone that you love or somebody that you know. So in the introduction, we talked about the calories in and the calories out model of weight loss. And how that doesn't account for all the different variables that go into whether or not somebody carries excess body fat. Um, if it did, then everybody who cuts calories and, and starts going to the gym would lose weight every single time. It would be very predictable and, uh, and let's say even mathematical. But that doesn't happen. Uh, what we know is that dramatically reducing your calories and increasing your metabolic demand through exercise, especially when there are metabolic obstacles to weight loss, actually results in a reduced basal metabolic rate or what we call the BMR or some people call it the resting metabolic rate, the RMR. And if you're not familiar with that term, you, you can look these up on Google, but very quickly, your basal metabolic rate is basically the amount of calories that you consume either on an hourly or a daily, I'm sorry, not the calories you consume, but the calories that your body expends, the energy output of your body when you're just sitting around doing nothing, like you're not even walking um, you know, to the, the office next door or walking to your bedroom or to the refrigerator, you're just sitting there doing nothing physical. That's called your basal metabolic rate. And it turns out that the vast majority of calories that we burn is through this basic metabolism. And then we add on top of that things like non-exercise activity that would be, you know, maybe walking to your mailbox or just walking around uh, even at the office we can add to that your energy expenditure associated with exercise. Uh, we can talk about the thermic effect of food. And these are all just kind of details that are really not all that important right now. I just want to make sure that you understand what your basal metabolic rate is and that when you drastically reduce your energy intake, lower your calories, and you 
significantly increase your energy output, the outcome is your basal metabolic rate reduces. You burn fewer calories throughout the day and not more. Um, in you know, in, at the end of the uh, somewhere along the the course of the introductory episode, we talked about the bigger biggest loser study was published in the journal Obesity back in 2016. And and I want to revisit that because there was a point that I wanted to make that I didn't get to before I closed out that episode. And and that is that in that 30-week period of training, the biggest loser season, if you will, was 30 weeks long. And if you remember how this goes, uh, you know, you might have 12 or 14 or 16 people sign on for the season. And they are isolated from their family for seven and a half weeks they are given a very specific diet. They, the only food they have access to is what the, the TV show gives them. Uh, and they train uh, upwards of four to six hours per day, every single day. Um, and what this journal study did was they, the, and I believe this was in the first se- season. Uh, I might be wrong on the, about that. But nevertheless, there were, I believe, 16 participants in this particular season that they looked at. And they had 14 of those 16 people sign on to be part of the study. And what they did was they measured their, you know, the caloric intake and their output and their basal metabolic rate at the end of the show after most participants had lost significant amounts of weight. And quite often it's over 100 pounds. And they followed them and measured their basal metabolic rate six years later as well as their their weight. And, And one of the things that they wanted to find out was, you know, trying to answer the question, it's great when someone loses a lot of weight really quickly, but the question is, does it stay off? And this is a common problem, right? People will say this all the time, like, you know, I lost 20 pounds, but then when I stopped dieting and exercise, I gained 30. It's a very, very common problem. And so what the study showed was that after six years, and that's, you know, it's not a couple of months, six years is a long time to follow people, that on average, and the numbers vary slightly from person to person, but looking at them as a group, on average, the people who had participated in that extreme weight loss program had regained 70% of their initial weight loss. And just to give you an idea, you know, if I was a participant and I had managed to lose 100 pounds, six years later, I had regained 70 of those pounds. Now, great, that's still a 30-pound weight loss compared to where I started, um, but I can guarantee it's not what everybody was hoping for because what everyone is after is not transient weight loss but permanent weight loss and more specifically permanent fat loss. But the other thing that they showed in that study was that not only had these participants regained 70% of their initial weight loss, they had reduced their basal metabolic rate to the tune of about 400 calories, or I'm sorry, 500 calories. And and that's an adjusted rate, adjusted for like being six years older and a couple of other variables. Um, But nevertheless, their basal metabolic rate, the amount of calories that they expend just sitting around doing nothing, was reduced by about 500 calories, which is gargantuan when you're thinking about, you know, what does it take to maintain your weight or decrease your weight or whatever the case is. And so... Just to give you some context here and why that number of 500 calories, burning 500 calories less at rest is important. You know, when I work out, I, I use my iWatch, my Apple Watch to track my workouts. And um, if I really kick it on any given day using, I don't know, club bells or kettlebells or uh, heavy compound movements like squats or deadlifts or any variety of presses, 
Um, I can burn upwards of 600 calories in an hour very easily in, in upwards of 900 calories. If I do some simple Olympic lifting, like cleans and presses or snatches or whatever the case might be. And, and so if you drastically lower your calories like they did in the biggest loser and you, you overextend yourself in terms of exercise effort to lose weight and you see this down regulation of your basal metabolic rate in this example to the tune of 500 calories, then that lasted for six years then in essence, what you're doing is you're putting yourself in a position of having to do the equivalent of two high intensity, high volume workouts every single day, just to match the potential weight loss of someone who had a normal, non-adapted basal metabolic rate. In, in no way, physiologically or even logically, does that kind of approach make sense. Now, it might make good theater, it might make good reality reality tv and i i say that with air quotes if you're listening to this on the podcast you can't see me do it but if you're seeing the video on say youtube you can see the air quotes um and and this is what happened to the biggest loser, loser contestants six years after they finished the show and had lost significant amount of weight 70 percent had come back on and they have reduced their basal metabolic rate to the tune of about, about 500 calories and and that is perhaps the equivalent of um, like a pretty substantial meal that you might eat, 500 calories. And if you consider that, say, the average female who might weigh 145 pounds or so, um, they might eat only about 1,500 calories a day. And if that's the case, then if you lose 500 calories a day in your basal metabolism, basically you have to stop eating one meal a day just to maintain your weight. Now you're only eating 1,000 calories just to keep your body at maintenance level, so to speak. And so these 30 weeks, or I'm sorry, yeah, 30 weeks, which is, um, you know, just a, a few months, right? Um, seven, 30 weeks of an extreme diet and exercise, while it might yield impressive short-term gains, is destined to fail in the long run because of these two phenomena. Number one, a somewhat permanent loss of basal metabolic rate and your ability to burn calories. We'll come back to that. And an epic regain of 70% of the, the weight that you had originally, originally lost. And, and that assumes that when you go off a very low-calorie diet and you stop exercising hours and hours and hours every single day, every day of the week, it assumes that you maintain some semblance of a relatively normal caloric intake and still work out, say, four days per week. You can't just go back to your normal routine. But, you know, many who come off a rapid weight loss program, especially if it's tied to a short-term goal, um, quite often they just simply return to their old habits and lifestyles. They go back to their same diet. They go back to their same sedentary lifestyle or very intermittent exercise with no plan. Um, and, and that's part of what got them to where they were in the first place when they decided, hey, I need to lose weight and I need to lose a lot of weight and I need to do it very quickly. Here's an example. If I, if I normally have to eat 1,600 calories to maintain my weight and in order to lose a lot of weight, say 100 pounds, I had to eat only 800 calories a day, right? Literally cutting my calories in half and then adding exercise to the point where I'm working out for two hours, two to three times per day for seven days a week. If I had to do all those things to lose 100 pounds, and in doing so, I reduced my BMR by 500 calories per day, 
then when I go back to my 600 calorie a day diet, which is normally my maintenance level, and I cut my energy output because now I'm not working out two hours three times every single day, the math on that simply doesn't work out because eating 1,600 calories a day when I have lost 500 calories a day in my lower basal metabolic rate puts me actually 1,100 calories per day over what it took me to lose weight. And you're just simply not going to keep the weight off if that's the, the case and if that's the scenario. Plus, if I go from, say, even four hours of exercise every single day, that's 28 hours in a week, but now I'm off my program and I'm still going to the gym, but I'm only going an hour at a time and I'm doing that four hours a week for a total of four hours, that's about an 85% reduction in energy output. And so in, in the aftermath of short-term rapid weight loss, it's the metabolic equivalent of doing the exact opposite of what has become conventional wisdom. It's like you took the idea of eat less and burn more and you flipped it around so that after these, these drastic weight loss programs, you're eating more and burning less. And, and it's absolute nonsense. But from a physiological standpoint, that's exactly what happens. And so one of the main things in, let's call it successful permanent fat loss, number one is, is to be really clear as to what your goal is. And I understand, like, listen, there are some times that somebody wants to lose 10 pounds, maybe to fit in a dress or a suit to go to a wedding or a family reunion. I understand these, you know, kind of contextual demands. I'll do this for a period of time, but then I'm comfortable going back to, you know, maybe being 10 pounds overweight and a little soft or however you want to describe it. So are you, are you trying to lose a smaller amount of weight in the short term for a specific reason that's in the not too distant future? Or are you trying to lose fat for life? Which the majority of people I believe um, would fall into the second category. Do you want to be fitter? Do you want to be more functional and to reap the rewards of being metabolically healthier, being leaner, being stronger, and being physically smaller? Because as I pointed out last week, if I lose 10 pounds of fat but gain 10 pounds of muscle, my scale does not change, but my body shape has completely changed, and I'll probably have to go get new clothes because I am physically smaller even though I'm stronger and more capable, and I'm generally healthier. It's the difference between being short-sighted and letting emotionality drive your decision-making and your behaviors versus being focused on winning the long game. And I'll have more to say about the long game and, and you know, what that looks like in, in just a little bit. That might bleed over into the next episode. So you have to be very crystal clear about what your goal is, and that will inform part of your decision-making process of how you're going to put together diet and lifestyle changes and seeking your metabolic obstacles. But you also have to plan, or you have to have a plan, and you have to execute that slowly and deliberately. Because... Rapid weight loss is not the goal because it's almost never permanent. Unless, again, you're talking about that unique situation of I got to lose 10 pounds for my high school reunion. But rapid weight loss, especially in the early weeks, is almost always comprised of losing water weight. You can, you can change your diet tomorrow. You can you know stop eating carbs, reduce your calories, eat nothing but protein, healthy fats, and maybe a little bit of vegetables. And you might lose 10 pounds in two weeks. 
That's possible. See it over and over and over again. But you don't lose fat that quickly. But if you have rapid weight loss that extends beyond several weeks, not only have you gone to the point where you've depleted your, your body of cer a certain amount of water that normally lives, say, in your vascular space, but particularly in your muscles, which is linked to carbohydrate intake, by the way, if that rapid weight loss extends beyond, and now you're losing 20, 30 pounds in, in the period of a couple of months, um, you are almost always at that point sacrificing your muscle mass, which is counterproductive in several ways. Remember, the key is to reduce your body fat and to preserve your lean muscle. At the very least, keep what you have. And in most cases, ideally, most of us could probably stand to put on a few pounds of muscle. But... It's counterproductive to lose muscle mass through rapid prolonged weight loss in several ways. First, with less muscle and with more strength loss or being weaker, you become less functional and less independent over time. And that is one aspect of winning the long game is to maintain your aging independence. But more so, it's counterproductive to lose muscle mass in the, in the, in the pursuit of weight loss. Because guess which organ actually uses the most energy, burns up the most body fat, and therefore contributes most to weight loss or weight control? It's your muscles. It's the largest organ in terms of energy expenditure or energy demand. And when you couple that with, I have a certain amount of muscle mass that has a certain basal metabolic rate, and on top of that, I use my muscles to move my body around in space, Maybe I'm lifting things, maybe I'm running or swimming or doing whatever the case may be. It is your muscle mass that allows you to become a fat burning machine. So why would you sacrifice that? It doesn't, again, it doesn't make any sense. It flies in the face of physiological wisdom. Now, one, there's one more issue and, and I'll bring this out and then I'll um, close this episode before we move on to something else. One more issue that the Biggest Loser contestants had to contend with, and this might be something that you've had to contend with as well, and, and this is not something that was ever discussed in any of the shows, at least that I watched, um, but it is perhaps one of the most critical and important points to make about this, and that is if you have been heavier than you want to be, you know, sometimes I hesitate to just use the word fat, right? If you've been fatter than you want to be, I don't want to... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody is, is I guess what, what I'm trying to say. But if you've been heavier than you want to be for a long period of time, and if you have found it hard to lose weight without regaining it in short order after you stop any given diet or exercise plan, it's because your metabolism has a memory. And it has redefined a, neuro, a new normal for your everyday body weight. Now, a common... A common thought that people have expressed to me over the years has been, you know, when I was young, I used to eat anything I wanted. I never had to work out and I didn't gain any weight. But now all I have to do is like look at food and I'll gain a couple of pounds. I mean, they say that obviously joking, jokingly, but there's, you know, there, there's an earnest concern over that idea. Like what's changed? What's gone on? <clears throat> so why is that? Why is it that when we were younger, most of us could eat more and still weigh less? Well, maybe part of it is because we're, we were more active then, you know, maybe you weren't in, you know, playing sports on teams or intramurals or whatever the case might be. Maybe you weren't an outdoorsy person. Nevertheless, activity certainly is 
activity tends to increase as we get older, but that's not the bigger answer. What we can blame for this phenomena really is a part of your brain called the hypothalamus. Now, we've talked about the hypothalamus before in the context of your adrenal system, your thyroid system, your reproductive hormones. Your, basically, your hypothalamus up in your brain uses different hormones to talk to your pituitary gland. And then your pituitary turns around and then controls your adrenals for your stress responses, your thyroid, which contributes to your basal metabolic rate, as well as the balance of your reproductive hormones. And we call kind of this collection of neurons in the hypothalamus and the pituitary the hypothalamic blank axis. So if we use the term the hypothalamic adrenal axis, we're talking about adrenals and cortisol, et cetera, hypothalamic pituitary thyroid axis. And same thing for your gonadal or your reproductive hormone system. And research over the past couple of decades has taught us that when you gain weight and, and stay there long enough, that your brain starts to think, well, I guess this is our new normal. And it adapts to that, in essence, resetting your its expectation of what your body weight should be. And then at that point, it does everything it can to defend that weight. And to keep that weight on because rapid weight loss is interpreted by your brain and your internal intelligence system as a disturbance in balance and homeostasis and metabolic control. And your hypothalamus will defend that new body weight, even though it's more than you want. And even though it's probably contributing to some of the health issues that you have. And so again, if, if weight loss is rapid and triggered by extreme changes in your feeding and exercise behaviors, your brain will resist that. And it will, it will cause you to rebound and bounce back to whatever it is that new normal had been redefined at. And listen, I, I know that nobody is happy to hear that permanent fat loss takes time and patience, right? And, and I too have had my own challenges with weight and have struggled with that emotional desperation of, you know, like, I, oh my gosh, I've got to lose 40 pounds like right now. And that's probably a good point to close out this episode and save my story for the next episode. But think about some of the things that I put out there today. And, and obviously, we're still in the big picture level of this discussion and haven't gotten to the metabolic obstacles. But as I have said over and over again in different episodes throughout the podcast, is that having the right thought process and the right perspective before you make decisions about fixing or changing things is absolutely critical, whether your goal is permanent fat loss or whether it is um, health and wellness in general, it's brain health, gut health, thyroid health, whatever. You have to have the right thought process and the right mental framework for perspective and decision-making uh, criteria. So we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks again for being part of the Inflammation Nation. We'll talk to you again on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.